What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined as always by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Back on time. The power has stayed on. The pod is back on schedule. You love to see it, folks. Yeah, recording on, on Mondays. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit weird, actually, uh, thinking how the last two weeks just uh, haven't been able to do it. Just can't, you couldn't even imagine recording on time the last two weeks, but Con Ed cooperating, so I'm happy about that. Uh, Dave, question for you. How much of our podcast is uh, ghostwritten by Sci High the Prince? Uh, <laughs> All of it? Two-thirds uh, of it? Uh, 30 to 40 episodes <laughs> yeah something something like that let's see if people can pick out which ones they are um and if you want to go through and listen uh, hit that subscribe button if you're on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod or go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod to get it in your balls any way you'd like to we got some music and some tv some really quality tv to talk about today dave uh let's start though with Someone that we didn't talk about last week when we mentioned the XXL freshman because they didn't make it. Guap Dad 4000 dropping Platinum Falcon Returns. A little six-song EP. Nice little 18-minute listen. Uh, give, me, give me a bit of the lowdown on, on Guap, Guap uh, Dad. <laughs> Jeez, what a name. Yeah, this is the second EP he's dropped this year. Uh, he's been doing a this whole thing about releasing like the singles constantly, like one a week. So actually five of the six tracks on platinum Falcon returns had already been out. And I was like, mm-hmm. just waiting for him to like, gear up for like maybe another album or something for we would talk about him. But it seems like he was just doing these little EP drops. So we decided on the second one here, which I actually think is a little better than the first one, but he also has two albums out. The most recent one was Dior deposits last year. And I think that's when he really started to make some uh, big noise. You know, about a year ago is when stereo gum, and Vice both wrote about the rising wave that is scam rap in hip-hop. You've heard me mention TJX6 of Detroit before, who's probably the best example of this. Listen to a song like Swipe Lesson, where he tells you how he defrauds uh, like Best Buy and stuff in really eloquent, <laughs> rapped ways that are also really funny. And I think Guap Dad's a little different because he's not as... a uh, upfront about his scamming ways currently. He seems to just kind of wax poetic about that being more of his past life, the way Pusha T remembers his Escobar beginnings. Uh, so Guap Dad's a little different. You know, I feel like he's, he's leaning more towards being a normal rapper, but, you know, his, uh, he didn't have choppas, he had VPNs, you know. Mm-hmm. So a little, di- <laughs> little different, but I think he's pretty funny and definitely has his moments. So that's why I wanted to talk about him. Yeah, and you know, um, obviously I'm not as tuned into Guap Dad as, as you are. Uh, very interesting name. Like the name, especially the 4,000. I don't know if there's any meaning behind that, but uh, just a great number to choose for, for the back half. Uh, Platinum Falcon Returns, like you said, mostly songs had already been released. Uh, but I think there's a lot of quality on here. And just kind of looking quickly through the Spotify numbers, um, for someone that didn't quite make the XSL list, still some pretty decent numbers here. We have uh, four songs in his top five have multi-million dollar listen or multi-million listens, um, mm-hmm. not dollar listens, but listens. Um, and a couple of 
songs on here, I think, will probably get uh, a little bit more run now, like Orgasm Full of Pain, which only sits at around 250. But that one really jumped out at me as being probably one of the, the catchier songs and the ones I, I was left being like, all right, I was bouncing to that. It had at least a really interesting and like ear catching hook to it, if if nothing mm-hmm. else, and you know, ridiculous uh, kind of metaphor, so to speak. But yeah, I think I think think that there's a lot of that throughout this. Just like you, you find yourself bouncing to it. It's it's not anything too heavy, and you just kind of let leave like, oh, that was a nice listen overall. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I think of something like the last track, which was the the one new track, "Hairless Horseman" featuring Boogie, mm. and that one. Down's a little. He's a little more softer spoken on that, and uh, you know, kind of pondering if he should go back to fraud, you know, mm. versus staying in the rap limelight. And you know, it's kind of interesting to hear hear him say that. But you know, on these six songs, he really does kind of change up that sound, right? Because you have Halo's Horseman, where he's a little little slower, a little softer spoken. You have No Home for the Brave, where he almost does some like sing songy stuff, like on the uh, on that hook, the racky rack racks part, you know. Right. And then you have something where it's just kind of hot fire, like a little scammer that could with Denzel Curry. So, and if you listen to some of his other projects, uh, you, you, you've seen his versatility as well. So, um, and actually, he, he has he had another single come out this year. It's a Rich Brian single that he's featured on called uh, Bali. And with, you know, you, he feels like someone who can really kind of adapt. And like, I think lyrically, he's he's not always that interesting. But like, as you said, on something like orgasm full of pain he's kind of maybe not talking about any new themes but he's approaching them in i guess a little bit of a unique way so that that's cool to hear mm-hmm. um and his story is kind of interesting too because when he was like coming up and like be making himself into a real rapper you know as someone who literally was a, a scammer um you know it's slightly different than validating yourself after tiktok success you know but mm-hmm. he was bragging in the early days about scamming Drake. He literally got Drake to play after party for free, meaning didn't pay him like a hundred grand or whatever it was, you know? Yeah, why not? <laughs> like you can watch, I think there's some videos where he's like, he meets G-Eazy for the first time at the trailer and you can see on G-Eazy's face. He's like, well, who the fuck is this dude? Is it like, <laughs> like, why am I meeting him again? Like it was, it's right. like stuff like that where like the story is pretty funny. So I'm definitely looking forward to the next uh, big album, but I think there's some cool highlights here. And little scammer that could, I think, have probably one of my favorite just off the cuff lines: uh, "Money longer than the DMV line line." Uh, there it is. Now that that's definitely uh, one one of the other tracks that stood out, and I think especially uh, Denzel Curry kind of on it gives them that that cosign, a little bit of legitimacy there. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think we're gonna stay tuned in to Guap Dad Four Thousands uh, as as hopefully more stuff and another album comes out. But why don't we transition to another young artist dropping a uh, a short album, nine nine tracks, really only seven songs, a couple of like intro tracks, and that artist is Victoria Monet, uh, not not to be confused with Janelle. But <laughs> you know, I think similarly, there's there's some uh, sonic similarities in terms of of their styles. Um, and also their content and this album uh, Jaguar uh, totally sexy groovy like uh, fusion of R&B and pop um, mixed in with a little bit of jazz elements it's a, it was a real pleasure to listen to um, 
how were you feeling listening to Jaguar and, and what were the elements of it that you either liked or didn't like? Yeah, I also liked it a lot and it actually came as quite the uh, uh, surprise in a good way because I didn't really have high expectations going in. I think, you know, Victoria Monet is someone who had some music come out the earlier part of the last decade, but didn't really make too much noise. And I didn't really even know who she was until she had this loose single come out with Ariana Grande called Monopoly, which was just kind of this late, fluffy, you know, pop song, which is pretty fun. And then going off that, I realized that Victoria Monet is one of Ariana Grande's really close friends. Uh, she's in the Seven Rings video, but more importantly, she is a big-time collaborator with Grande. She co-wrote many songs, some of her biggest songs across multiple albums. And uh, I think that she, she, she was Grammy-nominated as a result of that. And that didn't necessarily mean that I was all the way in, because if we recall last year, we had this similar introduction to Ariana Grande collaborators when we listened to Social House. Yep. And you can go check the review on that, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. We were not big fans of that EP. So I was like, <laughs> Ariana Grande collaborator, friends, not necessarily the all clear, but mm -hmm. Victoria Monet. Uh, yeah, this, this kind of gave me some Julia Michaels vibes where you're like, this is someone who clearly mm. knows how to make music and is now trying to create her own identity for herself because she's that talented. And Jaguar's pretty short but there's a lot of good moments here and apparently this is actually a part one of an album so that there's more to come hopefully soon but what's that to me was um there's you know like the 70s like disco vibes and stuff yeah and how that's you know becoming more and more in vogue in mainstream pop music right now and also kind of prescient a song like uh like ass like that is obviously very sexual and very uh upfront and just kind of reminded me of WAP, which like came out like I think the same day. So good stuff. Yeah, I mean, die. Well, I, I think it should be maybe said first. One of the I think really cool things about Victoria Monet is that she is totally open about her identity as a queer woman, and that comes through I think strongly um, uh, on this album and just in terms of her sexuality. Uh, being a major part of who she is as an artist is is very clear. Like a song like Dive, which was probably the first song on the album that really like grabbed me. And I was like, ooh, okay, there's really something here. But I mean, the whole time she's like talking about going down, you know, having a chick go down her or her going down a chick and, you know, seeing it, if their head game is strong, it's like, all right, sick. Like this, this is what like the artist she wants to be. This is what she wants to be making music about. And the song sounds so fucking smooth and just really grabs you. Um, you know, it kind of has this like horn section that wraps it up at the end, kind of leaves on this high note. And if there's one critique I would say is I think a lot of the songs kind of follow a similar structure where it has this like breakdown or, or like jazz infused like horn section. Um, at the end of the songs and that I, that was just kind of something I found myself falling into a rhythm a bit um, in the album but I mean Dive uh, a couple other songs I liked um, were, was the, the title track Jaguar I thought Experience was really good you mentioned Ass Like That like there's just some really great really great tracks um, and you mentioned that 70s vibe on Jaguar it almost like I don't know if it, if it was like interpreting it but it sounded like the song Conga, you know, like 
uh, I forgot who, who it was by, but I think it's Gloria Estefan actually. But the breakdown at the end, I was like, oh shit, this is giving me some real like conga vibes here. And uh, I just thought it was a really awesome sound. Really blown away by, by this, especially because she's been around since 2014 dropping music here and there. But uh, as far as I had known, I had never really had, she never really had anything that really grabbed my mm-hmm. attention. Um, right. It looks like she had a song. Uh, Monopoly with Ariana Grande off, you know, the last album that got plays. But I mean, this is really her breakout in my eyes. Yeah, definitely. Experience I really liked because that that was, you know, truly like a a synth pop song and Mm. also really, I think, an expert use of Khalid, someone who, uh, given the way he sings, can be misused in like more sleepy fashion. But I Mm -hmm. thought they actually had good chemistry on that. I like that one a lot. So yeah, this I mean this this is definitely her her mainstream breakout if you can call it that. I'm not sure exactly how much burn this out al- this album's really going to get for her because she's not on a major label anymore. So I don't know what the promo is looking like for this, but hopefully, you know, the association with Ariana Grande just drives people to her and already was showing a lot of support for this as you can imagine because it seems like they are just, you know, legit friends. So that's nice to see. So yeah, I hope this does well, and I'm definitely looking forward to whatever that second album, second piece is, you know, whenever that comes, because it just seems like someone who's just start getting started, and this is a great place to start. Yeah, Moses Sumney-esque with the, the double album, releasing it in two parts. Um, we already added one of the songs. I added Dive to the playlist, like, immediately after listening to it, so check that out now. Nostalgia Best of 2020 on Spotify. I want to move on to another album that really blew me away, though, Dave. Uh, and that's Burner Boys, Twice as Tall. Mm-hmm. Um, man, this album was uh, unexpected to me in terms of how much I really vibed with the whole thing. It just felt like I, it felt like the whole thing grooved and meshed so well. Burner Boy been blowing up, uh, especially since last year's African giant. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think yay is probably the song most people kind of know him from. Um, But I mean, he was on the, uh, the Stormzy album that we reviewed earlier in the year uh, on a song with Ed Sheeran, actually. So Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) if you want to hear our opinion on Ed Sheeran, check that out. Um, Stormzy's back on this with him. He has a couple of great guests. Uh, And actually I think his most high profile guest is like the only moment of the album I really just did not gel with. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, that but, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Um, but I want to, before we get too deep into it, temperature check for you on the album. Yeah. Burn a boy, the Nigerian Afrofusion superstar Grammy nominated for African giant last year did not win. Uh, I had listened to African giant, uh, when I was abroad, actually in Prague, you know, getting my uh, world worldwide on, so and lovely. did like it a lot. And he's someone who I feel like has just been this this really like really like nice rise to see because this is his fifth album, and he's had multiple ones on the majors, and it's just been a huge rise. And I think it's it's a really interesting story which we can get to. But I, I liked it a lot. I think there's there's so many moments where it's just like. Even if this is a genre that one's not super well versed in, I certainly am not well versed in Afrofusion and Afrobeat music. Um, 
it's just so confident in what it is. I think does it in a really good way. And uh, I was not expecting him to release a whole nother full length, just like a year after African giant. Yet here we are. He mm-hmm. seems like he made this completely in quarantine. And then uh, yeah. brought in a uh, Diddy to help him <laughs> kind of shore up the loose ends at the end, which is kind of, kind of cool as well. But yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I was really impressed with how, uh, and I think this is uh, a common theme in the albums I really enjoy, but how there seemed to be like a central sound and theme, but it's still expanded into all these different genres. Like you talked about that Afrofusion, which I think comes across really well. on like, a, or obviously um, on a song like wonderful, um, yeah. which is just like okay, a total African jam, um, real sh- like shot of adrenaline when I was driving in the car listening to this. I was like, "Oh, this 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 goes." Um, but the whole album, I, I mean, other than the song with Chris Martin, which is I guess probably the radio grab song mm-hmm. on here, "Monsters yeah. You Monster. Made," mm-hmm. which still I think kind of holds that sound, and I think it's just Chris Martin's vocals don't really uh, do what they were I think in hoping it would do or deliver what they hope it would deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I felt like the whole album was really tight, uh, expansive, fun, interesting. And the lyric, lyrical content, too, was also really impressive. He talked about a lot of really personal things, trials, tribulations, without ever kind of falling into like a, a difficult place with it. Like It always kind of kept moving and felt triumphant. So really enjoyed that. Um, give me a little bit about the, this backstory you mentioned about Burner Boy, because I think that plays a bit into where he's at now in, in this album. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about Afrobeat music, Afrofusion music, I don't even really think of, like, Wizkid as someone who's, uh, you know, came through here, and obviously think of the big moment he had with Drake, mm-hmm. which really kind of exposed him to the West, as Drake has been known to, you know, bring other genres into the mainstream focus, because he at the end of the day, is a fan of things. Um, but, Steals culture. <laughs> but in the case of Burnham Boy, his, 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 his success, his like slow success and rise to superstar, it was really cool to see because if you listen to Twice as Tall, you listen to African Giant, you can tell that he's not compromising his African identity, his African musical influences, right? This music sounds sure. really like that. You hear those ry- rhythms and those distinct vocals that you associate. Mm-hmm. You mentioned wonderful. You think of uh, that 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 background chorus early on and yeah. wonderful that really like you know has that has that African vibe and um, songs like Naughty by Nature and Time Flies where like that percussion again really feels yeah. like that's where it's from right but this kind of reminds me of the way reggaeton and Latin trap and even K-pop have just begun to be more and more successful here in the West and just find uh, more and more acceptance without really. Uh, changing what that music is as you know i think the gatekeepers have begun to go away with that on the internet and streaming just increasing accessibility this music from other places can be here in the west and you know if it's good people will like it they don't need to they don't care where it's from right and like mm-hmm. like i think for me and you we are not people that have listened to afrobeat and afrofusion all that long but like that doesn't matter you know you, right. you, if, you if it's good music it's good music so exactly it's really cool to see uh just that that the validation again for someone who obviously is a really great artist and he has he's now getting the return on that you know in the west i know he spent a little time in london during his formative years but did move back to nigeria so he he puts on for where he's from and it comes across the music and 
again, that's just great to see. And you mentioned Chris Martin. And uh, Matus Jumei was interesting to me because you listen, he has like that line about, Burna Boy has that line about uh, slaves and the minimum wage. And it's like actually one of his more poignant comments is on that song. But it has that, like that big booming pop production that just, just yeah. feels out of place compared to the rest of the album, right? And it does. Actually, I think the most surprising thing for me, though, was the opening moments where you get that uh, Pat Boone sample from 1959, which apparently was from mm-hmm. the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth, where he's like, you know, that, that 50 show tune have to be yeah. a bit taller. You know, it's like, wow, where is this coming from? This is, this is something. But then you, then you listen to the album and it, it, yeah. it's quite, a, uh, quite where it's from. So, I actually thought really Level good. Up that, that that opening track was a real um, display of, of production gold because you have that sample that kind of leads it off, and then you have um, you know uh, you saw Nafar and uh, Burner Boy kind of going back and forth uh, a bit, but then they bring the sample back, but it's just kind of like drowned out and starts to like almost fade into the drums, and it's kind of like they're taking that old school style and just like we're just going to put all our new like Afro sound and dance hall and reggae ton just like all into this right now. And it's just like a real, like I feel like a tone setter for the rest of it. And even though it's probably not the track I would go back to the most, mm-hmm. um, I thought that was a great table setter. And then the, the drums are such a driving force. And it's like you mentioned, obviously a huge part of, of uh, all these genres that Bernard boy kind of stands for, but especially that Afro Afro beat um, genre like alarm clock like you you get that feeling of like Mm -hmm. an alarm clock going off like waking up like getting that like rush of adrenaline as your day starts kind of um you know a song like uh you mentioned i by nature i thought uh i'm gonna mess this name up but no fit vex i think they said they pronounced it no fit vey or something like that um Mm -hmm. i thought that really embodied that that afro beat sound too with like the the chanting that you mentioned that chorus um and then you get Stormzy coming on uh, with mm. a bit more uh, toned down yeah, uh, near the end of the album. For sure. But I, th- I thought just really they blended together really well. Obviously, they've, they've collabed a couple times now. Um, just really exciting. And to, to I, I mean, like you said, I was not really tuned into when Burner Boy is going to be dropping his next album. I wasn't aware of African Giant, but to have it come out now and sound so strong and just like, uh, like a vibrant kind of album dropped in the middle of all this greatness mm. that we've had going on. Just really, really cool moment. So uh, definitely one of my favorite of the year for sure. Where, where's it at for you? You think? Yeah, de- definitely up there. Definitely up there. Um, yeah. I mean, just reading about it, this was made almost entirely in quarantine and you know, his work with Diddy is across multiple time zones because uh, Berna was in Nigeria when he was making most of this and um you know, th- those drums you cited on alarm clock, Diddy brought those drums in from none other than Anderson mm. Pack. And, ah. and then little little production from Timbaland on uh, Wet and Day Sup, which I thought was also another highlight. Um, yeah. Honestly, the last five tracks I really like. Time Flies, uh, my, well, After Monsters, you mean, Wet Day Sup, Real Life, and Bank on it. I thought it was a really strong finish. Um, yeah. And... You know, I mean, you can you look and Burner Boy's a name that has continued to pop up. Like, I know he had one of the big highlights on the Lion King album that just popped back up with uh, Blackest King from Beyonce, right? It's the same thing, the Ja R A song, which we had on our playlist mm-hmm. last year. Um, and he had a 
really big song with uh, the UK rapper Dave location. Like he, he's becoming a big force. And like, just as you see these features coming up, you can tell that like the, the, uh, like the globalization of musical ideas is just continues. And that's awesome. For sure. Um, definitely give this one a listen. If you got a chance twice as tall from burner boy, we'll have a track or two on our playlist as well. Um, Real triumphant record. Really glad we we got that one. Also, really glad that we got this new show on HBO, Lovecraft Country, from uh, Misha Green, uh, based off the 2016 book by Matt Ruff. Uh, it, you know, this is really a story about uh, is this what 1950s, 1960s, uh, like Midwest uh, Chicago yeah. area, kind of heading south. Um, a couple of black folk are mm. uh, traveling to find different things for themselves. You know, Jonathan Banks' character is searching for his dad. You have... Um, you say Jonathan Banks? Did I just say Jonathan Banks? I thought oh, I God. said that. Mike, M- Mike, Mike <laughs> Erman Trout, man. Oh, God. My bad. Um, I, I wrote down the wrong name. That's why I'm looking at it now. Um, sorry, let me pull it up here. Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors, thank the you. The young goat. Those those short names mess me up. Um, Jonathan Majors uh, is traveling to try to find his dad as he uh, is, has gone missing. You know, so he travels back home after going to war. Yeah. Um, Post Korean War. You have uh, Journey uh, Smollett, who's I don't know, kind of just like trying to find her way in the world. Doesn't really seem to have much to hold on to at this time. And then you got Courtney B. Vance, just. Uh, being their guide you know um mm-hmm. uncle pretty it, it, I, I think i really like his character a lot in this um and it seems like we have a lot more to come after this first episode dropped on hbo this weekend um i am looking forward to this i don't know if if, if i'm totally on board with everything but i thought visually and just like some of the elements are interesting enough where i'm like all right i want to give uh jonathan jonathan banks slash Jonathan Majors, a little bit more uh, time to cook. Um, how are you feeling after the first episode, though? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, similarly, similarly. Uh, I mean, definitely want to show support for Jonathan Majors, who I loved in The Last Black Man, San Francisco, and the Defi- and Defy Bloods. So he's definitely on the rise, and this is probably great exposure for him. So happy about that. And, you know, this is another en- entry in the Jordan Peele IP verse yeah. where he's a, a producer alongside JJ Abrams. And this definitely feels similar to Twilight Zone, uh, feels to- uh, tonally like what the Peel Renaissance has been with Get Out and Us, obviously, right? And that, I think that's kind of been the big, big talking point thus far. I know the critics have seen, I believe, the five of the, the 10 episodes, but the kind of using like the real mon the Lovecraftian like actual monsters to present a metaphor about the the true monsters that were racist white people in Jim Crow America. You know, like it, it's pretty smart and tactful. And I think that's this first episode did a good job of highlighting that like actual terror that, you know, just blatant racism uh was and, and the fear that traveling uh, as a black person at that time was i mean there's reference to like you know the, the green book right you know like the safe mm-hmm. places black people could travel to uh yeah. you know state to state so obviously 
we've only seen the first episode. I don't know how effective these metaphors will remain and stuff. Cause you know, you are kind of juggling a lot of stuff when you have this thing you're adapting this novel, which in turn is heavily influenced by all those, you know, Lovecraftian horror stories. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we're blatantly going to show that kind of horror stuff alongside this more prescient, uh, uh, societal comment you know it does seem like it's a lot to juggle but through one episode yeah. I, I was quite invested and we know that uh, the dad that Jonathan Major's character is searching for is played by Michael K. Williams so that's exciting mm-hmm. and I mean Courtney B. Vance just kind of being being on the side too obviously that's he's very overqualified for that <laughs> um, so I, I'm definitely in thus far and you know you know going in when I, like i knew about the show and before i knew that, like the kind of the the, the cultural uh, comments that that i was carrying i was kind of just writing it off because i was like oh is this like haunting of hill house is probably too scary for me it's not my thing right mm. but it's kind of more like at least through one episode it was kind of more like like stranger things right it's like yeah. monster horror but like there was no like real jump scares or like really anything that's gonna really like unsettle you in that regard right it's against more the the, the societal uh, issues yeah. that, are, that are scary so i like that through one yeah for sure i think it was more suspenseful than like terrifying in any sense um and i agree i think the highlights um and, and kind of weird to say it this way but the highlights were certainly the the scene where they uh flee the diner and they're getting shot at and have that car chase and then right. the other car flips the that and then you see like that blonde haired girl which I'm, I'm really excited to see like what these um, elements of sci-fi and, and fantasy are going to be with this and then also obviously when they have to uh get across the the, the county line yeah. uh, by a certain time that that scene was incredibly um anxiety producing for me um and then then you kind of have the monster show up and i didn't find that necessarily as compelling and i think that might be where the show loses me a little bit is uh, some of these sci-fi elements that are going to be included. I don't know how on board I, uh, I will be with them. Uh, I'm going to give them a, ch- a chance, obviously. And uh, I think the cast alone uh, merits me watching this and, and just seeing what comes from it. But like you said, there's a lot to juggle. And uh, when you have that many balls to keep up in the air, some of them aren't going to land as, as well. So I'm a little, a little worried about that. You know, how are we feeling about Jordan Peele's like, production uh like out of record here he's had a a couple of misses uh in the last few years you know after get out he seemed like you know he was kind of poised to be the next hitchcock and uh us was i i think we really liked it but i think Mm -hmm. it left some people feeling like the logic didn't totally work out and that turned them off and then obviously we talked about twilight zone and i think that was a big swing and a miss yeah, apparently Twilight Zone season two had a really dynamite episode in that second season. I have not seen the mm. second season. I haven't seen much Maybe. talk about it beyond that one episode. But um, did he have something else recently too? I forget. He did. I'm pulling it up. Something we didn't see. Um, yeah, under his monkey paw production. Uh, yeah, he has, he has Candyman coming up. Oh, right. Uh, um, and then Hunters is also something he's got his fingers oh the on. amazon show hunter interesting that yes. also didn't do too well uh that's the al pagino uh-huh. guys the nazi hunter show um yep. candy man the director of candy man i forget her name she was just hired to direct captain marvel too so 
that perhaps bodes well for for Candyman, which I believe has been delayed into 2021. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, J.J. Abrams is the same way, right? He's attached his name to tons of even Spielberg. Like they attach their name to things, and who knows how much creative involvement they even have had. Like, Mm -hmm. I I I really just want to see Jordan make another movie that he directs, right? And that's what I'll judge him on. You know, I still really liked Us, but I understand that to not live up to Get Out, I think that was also kind of an impossible task, though. So I, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. really hold that against him. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember I saw a lot of like hyperbolic statements when Us came out about people like, like they, I gave Jordan another chance, and I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like this guy's obviously like a really great director, <laughs> right? And Just like, keep giving him all the chances. You're like, gonna like what? It. So it, the second movie wasn't also an A plus, and now you're right. out. Like I, I don't understand that line of thinking. So. Yeah, still very in on on the Jordan Peele uh, brand, but yeah, I mean, he's becoming like a lot of the people. Like the the EP yeah. name probably doesn't mean a whole lot, but again, through one episode of Lovecraft Country, uh, definitely interesting to see uh, where we go from here. There's a lot a lot of things to like, and uh, mm-hmm. there's also unfortunately a lot of really prescient uh, commentary as a result. Yeah, for sure. No, I I agree on the Jordan Peele. Uh, question i just knew felt like he had taken quite a few losses recently um but i think his original stuff is certainly where he kind of uh, butters his bread so to speak um you know who really jumped off the screen in this though you know when you have obviously jonathan majors Courtney b vance i thought journey smollett mm-hmm. was by far mm-hmm. the the most yeah. interesting and captivating character on the screen and uh, i think she's going to have even a bigger role moving forward i think it's kind of her and Jonathan Majors is like co-leads it seems so right really interested to see where, where her, her character goes but well last time we saw her was Birds of Prey correct yeah well, one Black of the last movies we could see in theaters before they they shut down that's right so mm-hmm. uh I I think give her more roles she seems pretty great yeah definitely I'm bored with her all right why don't we transition from the beginning of one show to the end of another HBO show Perry Mason we uh reviewed the first episode I think we were left feeling optimistic about it, if not maybe a little bit confused at some of what was going on, and but just kind of loving the uh, the visual style, the the tone of it being that like uh, you know, old school noir type of thing. Um, how are you feeling now that they've gotten to see all eight all eight chapters of Perry Mason? Good, good. <laughs> I think once yeah. uh, Perry Mason got to settle in and set its table it uh i thought it really found itself i I found the show really really engaging and as you mentioned it has ridiculous production values like you watch this show and you i i just see the dollar signs you think of all the sets they made and heck they literally made the world war one flashback scenes oh yeah like like reese is hanging out with george mckay just fucking running through the trench like totally unnecessary but like, mm-hmm. yeah, like it just awesome. jumps out. Um, I saw a thing. Uh, I saw this link on Wikipedia. It was from uh, Film LA. It was just a, uh, a report on uh, expenditures in, that filmed in LA. And it said that they spent $75 million on season one of Perry Mason, which for context is like $25 million less than what they spent on Westworld uh, last season. So that's a lot of money. And You're putting HB- more money into this, though. Yeah, 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 please, please. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, that, that period detail goes beyond the stark sets. You have the fashion, you have the culture, you have the, 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 the diction, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it really 
takes you back to, uh, you know, what was, what were we in the twenties in the show? Right. Uh, the, Pre-World the War two. Okay. Yeah. That's still prohibition though. Yep. And you really, you really, uh, I feel like you really settle into that. And once we get the, the pilot doing what pilots often have to do and introducing you, you know, there's a lot of characters and I think mm-hmm. that that's probably a, overall a, a bit of a negative with the show is it, the plot is a little more complicated than it ended up probably uh, finishing up. Like it probably didn't warrant as much audience confusion. Well, you know, there's a lot of characters, a lot of threads, right? Maybe a little hard to follow at times, but at the end of the day, I thought it was just really engaging due to its deep bench of, of cast of characters and, uh, you know, just a fun mystery leading into a legal angle to it. You know, I, I you know, sometimes that kind of, something that simple is all it takes. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I think after the first maybe two or three episodes, it really like found itself. I think it, it uh, the beats really, um, every episode felt familiar but also really new and engaging in terms of how the story went and the twists and turns of it um and i i thought matthew reese was just fantastic dude like we we kind of already knew this right like he'd been nominated for the american so many times and uh did, did he finally get the win i think he did right the he did last time yes. yeah final so he season. finally got that emmy win great speech um, yeah but he's he's just this uh i think really solid actor who's finally getting these more mm-hmm. opportunities and he plays that like you know like down on his luck guy who like comes into his own and like reluctant hero hero role so well through yeah. this and it but it never like it never felt like grading like i never was like man fuck this perry mason guy i was like you know what? i kind of i kind of get it like he and, and they explain like the the ptsd he obviously deals with um they kind mm-hmm. of explain like how he like sees the world and and you kind of just understand him so well. And then he has the, he allows all these characters around him who are a little bit less well-developed. I mean, they are the supporting characters. They're not the main characters, but I think you get uh, enough, enough depth on most of them to feel like they're lived in. And um, I, I I think characters like uh, officer Paul Drake um, yep. played by Chris Chalk were, was a standout to me. I obviously, obviously thought Juliet Rylance was fantastic as Delia. Um, a right. True standout. Um, Shay Wiggum. I mean, like this, this cast goes so deep. And then that's not even mentioning probably the, the biggest scene stealer, which was Tatiana. Uh, what's his name? Maslani. Maslani? Sister Maslani? Alice. Yeah. I mean, every scene she was in, I was like, you know what? This is how cults start because you have a, a person with this kind of personality who can just really like, yeah, go out there and be like this, and she was totally captivating. So that I think this is a total win for HBO, obviously. And I'm just looking forward to more seasons. It seems like they're setting it up for more. So. Yep, uh, officially renewed for season two already. Obviously, no idea when that happens. And a show that is not shy about its breadth of scale in its uh, filmmaking mm-hmm. might be tough to get back to making this show. In, in the short term, you know, some yeah. stuff is already back in production. This feels like something that probably needs to wait a little bit, you know, and right. I, I don't mind. Obviously I wouldn't want them to cut corners for the sake of coming back. Um, and I think, you know, you know, speaking to that, that the depth of talent on the show, you have to assume in season two, we will be uh, without some of those actors, right? I, I uh, assume yeah. Maslani is, is, is gone. Obviously John Lithgow's character died. Uh, mm-hmm. Gail Rankin, who's the, the mother 
yeah. of the dead baby. I, you know, they're, they're probably all Lily Taylor as uh, Alice's mom as well. Like mm-hmm. those are all strong, important presences on the show. So you will have to replace them. But I mean, the way, the way that show kind of leaves you, right. Is you have Perry set up as the new Lithgow, the new, the new, new lawyer. And uh, Della's her, uh, his uh, associate. And it's going to become a lawyer too. And then uh, Drake is the new investigator. Meanwhile, Wiggum went off to join the uh, other DA guy who I believe yeah. that character name is the same one who's like a rival lawyer mm-hmm. rival from the original Raymond Burr Perry Mason show. So yep. kind of have that set up. So maybe Steven Root also leaves the show. I thought he was great as the DA. Oh yeah. But either way you see that like formula and like you have this cast, right? And it, it, I feel like the show just now it really lends itself well to a full season arc once again i like that you know rather than case of the week which i believe is how the old show was you can just have these eight episode arcs and i think this will be interesting because now that perry is the lawyer he's not the investigator he's not the private eye so like that hard will nature of the show especially the early goings right mm-hmm. uh, i'm curious to see if we still get that in the form of chris chalk's character and shay wiggum perhaps too because you know perry you know, and then again, though the the way the way the show ends, it's right. It's like it's a mistrial, which is a win. Yet they bribed a juror, even though they didn't have her. So it's like I actually kind of like that uh, choice, though, because it doesn't make Perry this like rock star right away. I actually yeah. kind of like the origin story nature to this whole season and and the mm-hmm. way they told this story. So uh, I think there's a lot of actually avenues to go with it, and I mm-hmm. have no doubt that they'll find new talent to fill new characters for the next season. Obviously it's HBO. They don't have a problem with that. So yeah, I mean, for a show, I, I feel like Barry Mason definitely was like, got a bit of a mixed reception in the early goings, but I think it was a really rewarding watch once you uh, let it settle in. So I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I actually like your point about um, how Perry being established as this, the kind of on the lawyer side, not doing as much of the investigative side of things will allow for other characters to shine a bit more. Um, and I think that's actually something that the show did well with the writing was it really showed you a lot. Like, um, you know, I, I can't remember if it was episode like two or three, they really go into Delia's relationship with Hazel and mm. um, you know, it, but they, they never really were like, explicit about it until like the last episode where like Perry kind of calls her out for it. And they have that moment where she's like, I didn't think you'd throw that in my face the way that, that you just Mm -hmm. did. Um, But it kind of just allows Delia to be like, this is my partner, the person I live with. We obviously can't be open about it because of uh, the times and the social acceptance or lack thereof of it. Um, But it's never like, we're going to show you everything about how Delia got here. But that gives you enough to kind of understand pieces of her. And it's the same thing with like uh, Drake's background, right? And like the stuff going on with his family and living in a black neighborhood and the different, the way that he's seen within that neighborhood is very interesting. The same way that EB gets the whole backstory about him and his family and how, you know, he like thought about them, but went on to live his own life and abandoned them. Like it just tells these parts of the story so well even having a cold open about Perry Mason's time in the war, like you mentioned, and we get, I think one or two more flashbacks, but really it's like that one opening about it. Um, and then they don't really ever have to go back there. Cause you're like, okay, we understand how this is impacting him now. So it just like, is very, I think well written in, in that way. And 
to juggle all that they did and have all these awesome actors and to make the show look like a million bucks, like there's there's Emmys coming for this. So I'm sure we'll be oh, talking yeah. about it when award season comes. Yeah, you know, EB was kind of interesting for me because there was a lot of times in the early going where I'm like, this guy sucks. Like, yeah, fuck you, yeah. dude. You're terrible. But then, like, mm-hmm. once it goes, and like, obviously, Lithgow gets kind of just to do what he's done the later part of his career and just kind of act his ass off, I guess. But like, you, you actually kind of feel for him as a guy who's kind of been left behind. Uh, yeah. You know, the times have changed. So I thought that was actually quite well done. Uh, unintentional comedy for me to the period where the, <laughs> the uh, other DA guy who's helping Perry uh, become a lawyer. He's like, oh yeah, the uh, the bar exam hasn't changed since like 1910 or whatever, however he says it. I'm like, what? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? The bar hasn't changed? Like, it's just hilarious to think of, right? It's, you know, it's like, yeah. like seatbelts and smoking inside. It's just something that's so foreign to us now. But like to hear something like that, it's like, oh wow, you could have totally just cheated the shit out of this shit, huh? Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's funny. Yeah. No, and I actually really liked that. And I, I did think that was like a funny thing, how he like transitioned from being this PI to becoming a lawyer so quickly. But yeah. I kind of like how they were just like, yeah, we're just going to explain this away. The logic was sound. Everybody yeah. understood it. And we moved on the same thing from American Pickle. You know? Right. Like, <laughs> explain it in a way that I'll buy into and then just never mention it again. I don't need to see uh, Matthew Reese like, studying a, a bar exam book for like three episodes to figure this out um yeah i'm I'm really excited to for the show to come back whenever it does i i think this is a total triumph and i think what's really cool about it too and this is just like one last thought and maybe we can maybe shout out a moment or two we really liked is that it perfectly mixes that like noir like solving the mystery and then taking it into the courtroom right and it's almost like a law and order episode over eight episodes but just like super well done way more thought out way more complex and compelling um so i i think this is like the perfect kind of television show to like keep most people who like those sorts of show interested but also feel mm-hmm. like you're a little bit smarter than the the average dick wolf viewer i guess yeah there you go yeah <laughs> um any any episodes or moments that really stood out to you yeah one thing towards the end that i really really enjoyed i think they did it a few times was when they would cut back and forth between Perry and the DA talking to the press and giving their obviously different spins and viewpoints. And and on one hand, that's another throwback to literally speaking out to the press outside as soon as you leave the courtroom, which is the way they would intersperse that to like maybe even like hold the hand of the audience a little bit and make sure you understand exactly what just happened and who, who thinks what, but the, the way it was done and like the kind of the snappy nature to it was really engaging. Yeah, no, I thought that was great. I'm thinking, uh, I'm guessing the one you're thinking about is like right after they have the mistrial and it's going back and forth mm-hmm. and like Perry's yelling at people and then they go to the DA and he like confronts that guy. And I thought, yeah, I thought that was really well done. I thought the uh, the courtroom scenes were really riveting a lot of times. Um, I'm try- I don't know if there's one in particular. I guess maybe it was when they had that woman who said that she heard Gail um, say that you know I, I killed my, my baby or whatever right and then like the whole room like erupts and everybody's like screaming and yelling but then similarly i thought the way that they kind of juxtaposed that with the uh the scenes with like the religious scenes um yeah was really good and that that scene where she had the guy get up from his wheelchair uh i thought that was just like holy like holy crap like really intense but also like then they like pull back in the shower she's like in like basically standing over the crowd like pro- like 
just like going on and on. And it's just like the light. It was just an amazing shot. I was like, this is some high quality stuff right here. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, that's actually one of the moments where I was like, oh, COVID, you know, it's like when they're all, right. all on top of each other in the church, just praying right. and chanting and stuff. But I'm like, ah, oh, damn, that's going to be tough to do again, huh? But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I mean, Mas- Maslani, uh, yeah, and she already won an Emmy for in Black, but I thought she was mm-hmm. quite the scene stealer because, again, yeah. as you said, the, the character she's playing is this great orator who's kind of yeah. captured the the whole populace, you know, on the radio. It's kind of interesting to think about too, because like there's like some little like subtle moments, right, where she's like, "Yeah, we got a uh, offered to advertise for uh, I forget what it was, like toothpaste, bubble gum, whatever it was, mm-hmm. some like random things." Like she was like, like pondering if she should quote unquote sell out for the sake of her ministry and it's like oh wow that that's relatable people are talking about that all the time right <laughs> and then like right. you know j- changing gears i really liked uh, some of the scenes with uh drake's uh family and friends where they're kind of presented multiple viewpoints from the black community at the time like his wife right mm-hmm. much more conservative like don't piss off the white people right like let's yeah. not ruffle any feathers and you can tell that drake doesn't really feel that way and that he can stops being a cop at the end like there's other people that they talk to that uh maybe i wouldn't say it, they don't have like i don't think anyone's talking to any like revolutionary views in those scenes but like you can just see the the, the it's more layered right so mm-hmm. I, I think there's lots of little 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 moments throughout perry mason that i think reward yeah. people that are paying attention for sure um yeah check check this show out it's it's great um what do we got on the docket for next week dave why don't we wrap up there because i think uh there's not much else we can say (laughs) speaking of great shows i may destroy you is finally coming to an end on hbo on monday so that's exciting can we talk about that once again uh also have a bunch of big albums return of bright eyes the return of the killers uh a new album from Nas. What year is it? <laughs> the Dua Lipa remix album. And also a uh, new IFC film on demand starring Ethan Hawke. Tesla. Ethan Hawke as mm. Tesla. Pretty cool. Wow. Ethan Hawke. Getting those, uh, those Artur roles, man. He's, uh, he's really something, that Ethan Hawke. All right. We're wrapping up there. Watch, listen, all the homework Dave just gave you. Also go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. Follow us there, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod at nostalgiapod on Twitter. And that five-star rating and review that you haven't left us yet will be much appreciated when you leave it on iTunes. Uh, Wear your mask. Stay safe. Catch you next week.